0: This is my first sermon in this Trickster Jesus series on the parables, uh, and I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I, I'm really excited about this particular parable that we're going to unpack today. Um, so I'm going to begin by actually reading the text in Matthew 20, uh, and then talk a bit about like what's so wild and weird about parables that I love. So um, to begin, you can follow along on the screen. Um, so in the middle of Matthew's Gospel, And then a a few in Matthew 20 and 21, there's a whole bunch of parables about the kingdom of heaven and they all start with the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's kind of Matthew's big thing. uh, Mark, Luke and John don't do that the way Matthew does. Um, And so this is one of his big kingdom parables. And like many other parables, it's a vineyard, it's a land-based parable. Imagine the teachings that would come from an agrarian society, a land-oriented people living under Roman occupation, and their land is regularly being stolen. And then, anyway, well, I'm skipping ahead. Okay, I said I was going to start with reading it. I lied. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out again and saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and three o'clock that afternoon, he did the same thing. And about five o'clock that afternoon, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why are you standing here all day without work? They said, because no one has hired us. He said, ah, you go and work in the vineyard too. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and pay them for their wages, starting with the last hired until the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each one also received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner saying these last fellows worked one hour and you have made them equal to us who bore the hardship and burning heat of the day and the landowner replied to one of them, friend, I'm not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? Are you kidding me? Like, have you read this before? Like, it's hitting me for the first time, and I worked on this all week. So so the last will be first, and the first will be last. The offense is not that the the employer exploited the workers. The offense was that he dared to be generous and this parable is spicy so we call this sermon series trickster Jesus and a few folks have asked uh, some part of our community and some part of our podcast community things we say now um, said okay the parables are lovely uh, but what's the trick like the trickster Jesus what's the trick um, And I think um, uh, for many of us who grew up in the church grew up in like Western evangelical church we've kind of lost the art of parable reading because parables are kind of a coded sort of like like you know those like old fairy tales about like you had to solve a, like, what I'm like the billy goat gruff what am I trying to say like oh where's Eric like a puzzle like a, a riddle you to solve a riddle to get across the bridge or something. Like a parable's like a riddle. Um, It's not clear, like Jesus could have just been like, you know, speaking clearly about stuff, but he kind of speaks in this coded way and he doesn't ever resolve it. There's one parable, uh, the parable of the sower and the seed, another vineyard parable, where he does sort of explain it. But it says in Mark, like he explained a lot of his parables, but none of those explanations have been preserved for us. So intentionally, Matthew wasn't like, oh no, I forgot to add the explanation. The Holy Spirit's not like, oh, we forgot. Um, it's intentionally ambiguous. We've been entrusted with this task, community. Imagine that. Um, so when you come to a parable, first thing you got to do is be- become aware of the assumptions you bring to the text. So be careful, because you might have been like, well, obviously the employer is God, and obviously the laborers are us, and those who've been there all day, you know, there's like an anti-Semitic reading. Those who've been there all day are the Jews, and then those who just showed up are the Gentiles, and, uh, you know, those... Uh, You know, we kind of get some anti-Semitic interpretations there, right? Not great. Um, Remembering that probably every single character in this parable is Jewish, including the one telling it and the majority of people who heard it for the first 200 years. (laughs) So just caution us on that kind of reading. And we might imagine also that um, maybe the wages, like maybe they're, sometimes we forget to just read a, which is wild. The folks who often uphold like the plain reading of the text the most allegorize it faster than anyone else. I'm like, There's also an economic element about fair wages and a livable wage, right? That's there, a plain reading of the text would suggest there's an alternative economy going on here in this text. Um, But we might bring the assumption that the wages represent salvation, or inclusion, or um, a place at the table. Um, And so the beautiful thing about a parable is that none of your assumptions are just like straight up wrong, Um, but none of them are the one. So this is why we read it in community. Because maybe you're working right now for a minimum wage. It's not working. Maybe someone else here is a boss and you have 15 staff and you have to fire two because budget cuts. So whatever you bring to the parable, you're going to notice something different than me. So we read it together. A parable shapes community. What a trick. Right? Jesus is like, gotcha. He like drops this riddle and then walks away and then we turn towards each other and we're like, what does it mean? And without even realizing it, he got us to turn towards each other. What a sneaky guy. (laughs) Conspiring goodness in our midst. What on earth. Beautiful. So I've heard this story. I want to just reflect on, like, so there's an anti-Semitic reading that it's about the Jews and the Gentiles. All right. There's the anti-capitalism reading. Personally, I think Megan Biggs would love that one. I wish she was here that he's like, he's just going to give everybody a livable wage whether they worked for it or not. You know, there's that reading. Then there's the corrupt employer reading, that maybe the landowner isn't God. Maybe this landowner is some Roman soldier who for fighting in some war was just granted 50 acres of land that already belonged to the indigenous Galileans, and now those Galileans who used to own that land are sitting in the marketplace hungry, hoping that their oppressor hires them. And it's frustrating that the guy doesn't have like a long-term staff. He's just sort of like, yeah, how about you? Cool, cool, cool. How about you? Like there's, you know, you can read it in all these different ways. Um, my favorite one, this is a joke, it's not my favorite, is the lazy millennial reading, right? Like these lazy, good-for-nothing millennials sitting around all day, playing video games all day, think that they can just walk in here and get 60 grand a year? Not a chance. Work hard. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You start from the bottom, you know? But I definitely have that, like, you know, I can feel like it's, you, you. who are you in the story? Do you feel like you're that, like maybe the older generation that's like, do you know how hard I had to work to get this beautiful house I have? Uh, here, here, okay, let's get real. When COVID hit and a bunch of my friends got fired and they started just getting $2,000 a month checks, guess how much money I was making a month at my 30 hour a week job, like really close to that. And I was like, you're not even doing anything. Why are you getting the same pay as me? I remembered that this week when I was reading this text. I was like, wait, thank you, Jesus, that my friends who lost their jobs in COVID were able to access money and still live. Oh yeah. But instead I was bitter and grumpy because I was working so hard and what were they doing? Anyway, like this, we're all in this, aren't we? Every one of us is a character in this. Um, so I want you to notice a few things though. One, I'm gonna say that the lazy millennial reading probably isn't the right one because they're not laying at home playing video games or whatever and then the manager's like knocking down doors be like, does anybody wanna work anymore? That's not it. They're in the marketplace and culturally speaking, they're standing in the place where you would go if you were looking for work. So there's a group of people who, who gather at this certain place in the market hoping that like wealthy employers will come by and hire them for the day. They didn't have like you get a direct deposit into your account every two weeks like we do. They got paid their wages at the end of every shift. That's biblical. So this is a t- normal thing that you would go out in the morning, hire people, and pay them at the end of the day. So for some reason, uh, let's say there's 50 people in there in the morning wanting to get hired. A bunch of them don't get hired. They get overlooked. I wonder why. Why would an employer be like, hmm, who do I want to work in my vineyard? You. You and you, not you, not you, and not you, comes back later and finally, it's kind of like when you're picking teams in, in like junior high for a baseball game, who gets picked first? <laughs> who gets picked last? Everybody wants to get picked, right? Maybe you're the person that's never gotten picked. So these are not just lazy people who think they're entitled to like a fair wage. They've been waiting to be hired. There's a place in Calgary, I forget what it's called, but literally which is the exact same system. Do you know it's like Workers' Corner or something? what's it called? Cash Corner. Oh my goodness. Okay. I grew up um, in Okotoks and my grandpa had a farm and my grandpa was like as Albertan farmer redneck as it gets. And I, bless him, he, he did rodeo and the stampede. So, you know, this is our our time to remember my lovely grandpa. And I remember he would get in his truck in the mornings and go down to Cash Corner and get some hired hands. And sure, he might come halfway through the day. And this was a real thing. There's people out there all day hoping to get hired for You know, they're pretty desperate and they need some cash, and they're willing to do a bunch of jobs that most of us wouldn't be willing to do, and they get paid for it. And so this is a real thing. These are people who want to get hired, and for some reason they've been overlooked. Maybe they're in a wheelchair, maybe they're disabled, maybe they're the wrong skin color, maybe they're the wrong gender. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they've been overlooked, okay? Second of all, I want you to notice, um, no, not notice, I want you to tell, this is like... I relate to both um, the laborers who've been there all day and they're frustrated that the newbie gets paid the same amount, but I also realize that in a lot of ways I'm the newbie. And so just to be real, and I think one of my realities is like, I've been a pastor in evangelical denominations for coming up on 15 years of my life. I almost have my third degree in biblical studies. I'm doing my PhD in England. And I think of this past summer, a guy who just graduated, he's like 22 years old, got hired full-time lead pastor at another church in Boness. And you better believe part of me was like, I'm sorry, what? Do you know how hard I've had to work? And it's a more conservative congregation and I probably wouldn't be allowed to preach there. But this guy was my student. That's wild. That's wild, right? And so absolutely, part of me is like, he has a pension? (laughs) Are you kidding? I had to learn Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, French, German. I'm still, but anyway. And so I get that feeling of like, wow. Um, But then I also think of women who are like 20, 30 years older than me, who've been associate pastors and women's pastors and young adults pastors for decades. And then some lady with a tattoo walks into Awaken three years ago and gets hired as a lead pastor. I wonder what that's like for her, because if it weren't for her labor and her steadfastness and her constant grace and forgiveness, um, there probably wouldn't have been an imagination in a younger congregation for someone like me. So I relate. And that's in the pastor world. I think all of us fit into this story one way or another. Right? Feel it? Okay. The other thing I want you to notice is, again, it's a vineyard. Vineyard's a huge thing in our Bible. We cannot overstate that. Like, it's going to be one of the dominant themes in the entire Bible. Genesis begins in a garden to Revelation ends in a garden. This is not some farmer like my grandpa Ken who just needs a couple guys to help him, like, castrate cows. I don't know. Oh, that was a... I don't know, brand, build a fence, whatever, like a date, like a task, a labor thing. That was weird, I, that was off script, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just trying to remember memories with my grandpa and there some stand out more than others. The three main economies in like this part of the world at this time is wine, vin, vin, viniculture, grain, and oil, and olive oil. Like these are the three main economies of the nation. Like these are the three economies that generate the most wealth for the entire nation. So in Canada, the equivalent would be oil and gas, lumber, all the big trees in the world that are left are both basically here and in the Amazon, and grain. Um, And then in fourth place, we're probably thinking just of Alberta, what do you got? Alberta beef. So us in Israel are not that different. Wine, olive oil, grain, sheep and cattle, that was in ancient Israel, Canada, oil, not olive oil, but other oil lumber, grain, and beef. So this is, imagine this story is like the CEO of Shell needs to hire some people. We don't have any fear in that situation that the CEO of Shell is like strapped for cash. And so imagine this is vineyard. This is their main economy. This is a, a, a big one. Like this is like if you work in vineyard industry, you're probably okay. That's important. Um, the vineyard industry was at the center of life in Galilee. In Jesus's day, the Galilean Jews were primarily agrarian people who worked for land owned by Roman oppressors. Land that would have been theirs at one point, that would have been taken from them, because that's what happens when empires conquer and colonize. Um, And then they would have to go and work for their landlord on land that was previously theirs. And then they would pay taxes. (laughs) And so there's also a socioeconomic thing between the occupied and the occupier. That's a reality in the days of Jesus. We learned yesterday in the blanket exercise that there's a diamond mine called De Beers, and it's maybe the biggest in the world, and it's in Canada. What, I didn't even know we had diamonds. I should have known, I don't know. And apparently, in order to work at this diamond mine on indigenous land, you have to have a grade 12 education, but there was like an incident to do with the mine that damaged the school, and it wasn't rebuilt for like 20 years, so no one in the community could get a high school education, so they couldn't get the job. And then in the last few years, after much complaining and trips to Ottawa, um, the Canadian government and De Beers helped to like rebuild the school, but then De Beers changed it that you have to have a college education. It's like, dang, this used to be our land, and now we can't get a job at the industry that's generating billions of dollars. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on here that you have to notice um, when we're reading the text. Thirdly, apart from the socioeconomic uh, implications, I want you to just... Bear with me and imagine how big of a deal vineyards are in the Bible. The Garden of Eden is kind of where it all begins. They're eating fruit that they shouldn't eat. Um, It's a garden story that begins our story, and it's a garden story that ends it in the book of Revelation. Noah is the second kind of gardener in the Bible. Uh, After the flood, his boat kind of docks lands, finds land. Um, And first thing he does is plant a vineyard. And then he drinks the wine and gets super drunk and passes out naked in front of his children and some questionable things take place there. All throughout the prophets, minor prophets and major prophets, God's people are compared to a vineyard. For example, probably the most famous, uh, uh, important formative one of all is in Isaiah 5, uh, where the prophet says, uh, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones, he planted it with choice vines, he built a watchtower in the midst of it, he hewed out a wine vat. He did everything right. He was a very good vineyard person. He expected it to yield grapes as one would if you got healthy soil and good sun and all that stuff, but it did not. Um, And then he says, so now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do? Is it my fault? What should I do? He's like, so I'm just going to destroy the vineyard and plant it again. Um... And then uh, in verse 7, it's beautiful, he says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but behold, bloodshed. He expected righteousness, but behold, only outcries. So a vineyard is a big thing. Um, uh, The whole book of Song of Songs, that lovely book of erotic ancient poetry in the middle of our Bible, is about two lovers in a vineyard, the whole thing. Uh, The the most probably famous and quoted parable of Jesus is the sower sower who's planting seeds. He's throwing some in rocky soil, throwing some in fertile soil, feeding some to the birds, (laughs) you know. Um, And it's this sower analogy. In Matthew 21, I just wanted to, I won't like read all of these, but vineyard parables, I can't say enough how big of a deal this is for Jesus. So has anyone here ever like worked on the land? Have you ever been a farmer or a professional gardener or worked in a vineyard? Anyone here? Yeah, Chris? Yeah, you have. Like, it's hard work. And I think if you did that work and everyone in your community did that work, this parable might hit different than if you've never been there in their life. So try and imagine that world. And who are the people in our society who harvest our vegetables and our fruit? Who are the people in our society who pick the grapes in the Okanagan? This is their story. So we've got to remember that while we read it. Okay. So um, in Matthew 21, there's a beautiful parable of two sons who went out to a vineyard. Uh, Later on in 21, there's a parable of wicked tenants who you know this vineyard that the owner worked hard for and people mistreated the workers and vineyards are a really big thing for, for, for Jesus and, and for Christian people and, and all of God's people since the beginning. It's a big deal. So another thing I want to point out to you is that in the very, you could go back to the first slide Glendon, this is important, the employer does not set the wages all on his own. He says um, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, so they negotiate a wage. He's not, like, scamming them. He's not exploiting them. He's not like, you look desperate. 50 bucks, 14 hours of hot labor in the sun. No, it's like a fair wage. They agree on it. And these are the people that get chosen first. So it's a pretty privileged space that they're in. They and they're like, you know what? Like, 500 bucks a day. That's what I want, to work in your vineyard, picking your grapes or picking your tomatoes or whatever. 500 bucks, let's say. Let's say that's a livable wage in Calgary. I don't know, is it? 500 bucks a day? That, that's high? That's super high? I don't know. I, I rent in Bonesse. I don't know. <laughs> um, but whatever, they get to agree on it. So this guy's not out to exploit anyone. They agree. And they are like, oh, it's like the crack of dawn, and I'm going to work until sunset. This is a fair wage. So no one's being exploited. That's important. The wages he pays the other staff at the end of the day, who show up at the end of the day, do not affect those of the others. It's not a pie. He's not like, I got a thousand bucks and I need a hundred vats of grapes picked by sunset. I'll give you all a thousand if you can do it by yourself and then this guy works all day and almost gets it all and then he gives 800 to the guy that shows up in the last hour. Like that would suck, right? That'd be horrible. It's not a pie economy. He doesn't take the wages he gives the folks who only worked one hour out of the paycheck of those who worked all day. No one is exploited in this story. That's Darcy's word last night. He was like, God doesn't exploit anyone. I was like, text me that word, exploit. I got to put it in here. Credit Darcy. No one is exploited in this story. Um, Folks aren't mad about the exploitation. No one is like, "That's, that's not fair. I only got 500 bucks. No one says that in the story. What angers them is the generosity. They're mad that the employer would dare to give the same wages to the people who only worked one hour or two hours. So it's a powerful story. The complaint, I'll just read this last half uh, uh, of this slide. says, but each one also received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner saying, these last fellows worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who bore the hardship and burning heat of the day. And the landowner replied to one of them, friend, I am not treating you unfairly. You agreed with me to work for the standard wage. Take what is yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Aren't I permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I want to imagine, with all of you for a moment, we are a vineyard, and the fruit that we bear is the fruit of the Spirit. All right? just because in a parable there's no one exact right way so we can kind of play and experiment with like what the wages are and what the labor is but as a pastor I feel like the church is a vineyard and what the labor that we do here as members of this church and what our wages are I think would be a a fascinating kind of way to read this and so play with me for a moment there's a labor that comes with being a part of a church right and there's a joy (laughs) An abundance. There's some. You all got. You you all came today, um, not just because you felt guilty and you have to and you're gonna suffer if you don't. I hope that's not why anybody came. But you were. There's something in it for you. You might just be to see my friends, because I wanted to hang out with this uh, girl I like and she'll be at awakening four. You know. There's some reason you came. I wanna. You know. Show my child how much I love them because they love this church and I'm curious about it. There's reasons why you came. There's something in it um and that's true for every person here there's a labor that goes into being a church like setting up chairs and making coffee and keeping the common cupboard filled and watering the garden late at night knowing that you will donate a full pint of blood to the mosquito community there's labor that goes into proclaim daring to be hopeful and joyful in a neighborhood that is just weighed down by bad news There's a labor that goes into coming and constantly meeting new people and constantly being open to new friends. Um, There's a labor that goes into this. And so I think at Awakened Church, don't come for the joy, come for the labor. (laughs) That was a joke. joke. I think of Jesus' words when he said, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. And it Awaken, one of our core things, which I am very blessed and privileged to have inherited from former um, all of the former pastors and, and elders and leaders at Awaken, is that this church was planted as a missional church. We're not a church that just exists to put on a really fun, entertaining show and invite as many people as we can in. We're a church that exists to send people out and say, go proclaim the peace of Christ upon the neighbors we have in Bonas go proclaim joy in the midst of darkness go dare to grieve in the midst of a people denying that anything's wrong go we send people out we're missional we're neighborhood oriented so there is labor here and there are workers the workers are few that's how every church uh, experiences that and so i want to just focus on like the labor and the wages and the very real dynamic at awaken and every single church in this city post covid dare i say post but we are in a new sort of season in, in, in our life as a church. There are some folks at Awaken who've been here a long time, since the very beginning. You've, you've been a part of this through many ups and downs. You remember times of great suffering, times of great joy. There's nostalgia for once was. And there's also still a frustration with what's once was. There's people who've been here from the beginning. There's people who've been here a long time. There are some people who just arrived, literally, this is their first Sunday. There are people who have only recently been welcomed to worship and use their gifts and teach us what they know about God because of whether, whether it's their sexual or gender minority, they've been left sitting in that marketplace, hoping someone comes along and says, do you want to come join the labor? There are people who've just been welcomed. There are also people, which isn't really in the story, but it's a real thing for every church in COVID, who were here for a really, really long time. And then because of some very real and very understandable circumstances in their life, were like, there is no way I can be a part of a church in a global pandemic. Maybe it's like, I have four little kids. I can't convince any of them to wear a mask. And one of them always has a runny nose. No way. And for some reason, that's understandable. There are people who were here for a long time, left for a few years, and are now coming back. And it's terrifying. Because they've come back and they're like, "Who are these people? <laughs> what is this church? I, the church that they left isn't here when they came back." Because it's you know the church is a new new thing every day, and so there's it's scary. It's scary being a brand new person and wondering if you'll be welcome and you'll be invited into the labor and if you'll get the same joy that everybody else gets. It's scary being a long-standing member and then seeing all these new people uh, show up and being afraid that like. They're walking around like they own the place and they just got here. It's scary. And it is scary leaving and returning. And then when you're new in your newness, you don't know if you're one of the new people or one of the longstanding members. It's freaky. Everybody here, there's a a fear. A good parable, though, challenges every one of us and encourages every one of us. A good trickster entrusts the community with that process. So there are new people here. Here's what I wanna, this is my, 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 my pastor's love for you, my beloved community. There are new people here. And new, I mean like they, they joined in the last say, six months, I don't know. Feels like they just got here and they're acting like they run the place, am I right? All this joy, all this happiness, leading communion, helping with tech, singing songs, who's this guy? There are new people here and they just got all this joy. And maybe, So if that's not you, let's consider for a moment. Maybe they've been in the marketplace in the hot sun all day, waiting for someone to hire them, expecting to be paid in crumbs. And they happen to show up and find a feast. They found joy. They found a place of belonging. They were invited into the work. And they never thought that was possible, and they can't wait to sing and dance and join the feast. Do not be threatened by the generosity of our God. There are long-standing members of Awaken and they're just getting their grounding. They're just catching up. Uh, they were maybe less involved in COVID and they had a very good reason to be. And they're here again. And if that's you and you feel that way of like, oh, I left and I came back and now I'm one of the new people and that's freaky. I want you to know you are worthy. You belong here, absolutely, This, at least as much as you did three years ago. This is your home. This is your home. This is your home. And your presence here, your courage, your labor, your faithfulness is a gift to all of us. I know it's disorienting. I know it's scary to come back and suddenly feel like there's new people welcoming me, asking me how I found Awaken. <laughs> I've been here for 14 years, you know, like it's scary. And I get that and I see that and I just say, thank you. I know you and I know that's scary. There are also a few people here who like never left during COVID. They've never left. They've just like rolled with the the punches and like for for whatever reason, for whatever reason they had access to that ability to like stay present. Um, They worked really hard. They did a lot that went unnoticed. They tried things during the pandemic that failed And then they kept trying new things. And they were lonely in that big field all by themselves for those two and a half years. And maybe you have got the impression that some of those folks seem hesitant to join in the joy. And I want to encourage you, church, to be patient with them. I suspect they're just as afraid as everyone else that there might not be enough that this might not be a community with a big enough table. They're like, I worked so hard all the time. Hey, I'm really scared that another pandemic's going to hit and shut the whole thing down. And I'll, uh, once again, everything I built comes crumbling down. There's a fear. There's a fear of change. There's a fear of not being welcomed. There's a fear of there not being enough. There's a fear that your joy means maybe there's no room for my joy or I don't get your joy. And does that mean I don't belong here? Every single one of us is longing for that generosity <laughs> Longing to be picked, to be chosen, to be hired. And here's what I know as your pastor. There's enough joy for all of us. We aren't competing with one another. There is no rank. There are no promotions. Dare I say, God is not a capitalist. God is outrageously generous. It's offensive. It's dang near wasteful. He's not rewarding you more joy because you toughed it out longer than everyone else. He's not rewarding you more joy because you're like, I don't know, a new fancy thing and we don't care about the familiar faces anymore. None of that. That parable of the sower I mentioned before, it's one of my favorite parables, cause you got like, you know, he throws seed in all these places and it's like some of the seed was in a rocky soil and some of it dried out and some of it got eaten by birds. And the sermons I've heard all my life is kind of like, which soil are you? Are you a rocky soil? <clears throat> are you fertile soil? It's hilarious cause it's like soil cannot change itself. Imagine the soil out there is like, shoot, we're too sandy, we'll try again next year. <laughs> That's not the soil's fault. And what kind of a good-for-nothing farmer is throwing the seeds on the sidewalk in the road? <laughs> like, are, are, is this your first rodeo, sir? You're supposed to put the seeds in the soil. Unless you have so much seed that it doesn't matter. Right? That's not a parable of, are you the right kind of soil or not? It's a parable of how extravagantly generous, how many seeds. This, this farmer in that parable is like, you're rocky soil right now. I get that. I'm going to plant all these seeds in you, and it'll sprout up and dry out. And next spring, I'm going to plant it again. And next spring, again and again. And if you walk away from your faith and come back, and walk away and come back, and walk away and come back, he's like, I got seed for days. My generosity is going to outrun your scarcity. The end. There's enough. We're not competing. God, like, like, this guy's not a good capitalist. You know full well that the guy who only worked an hour really only needs 10 bucks. Um, He's like, well, what if I gave you all 500? What that tells me is he's probably got a pretty big bank account. He's happy about it. It's a gift for him to gift the people working in his vineyard. The pie economy, as I'll call it, where it's like, there's only eight pieces. And if we hire nine people, everybody gets a smaller piece, scarcity mindset. That's freaky. That's what, that's how our world works, right? That's the pie economy. That's how the economy in Canada works. And in that kind of economy, um, the economy determines your worth, meaning unless you're able to work really, really, really hard, uh, you're not going to get paid as much. If you get injured at work and you got to go on disability too bad. If you, like, age out and you have to retire, like, the idea is, like, only some people who, like, the harder you work, the more money you get paid. That's not in this story. God doesn't operate in that economy. Um, God operates in a gift economy, which means the economy doesn't determine your worth. Your intrinsic work actually informs what we do with the economy. It's a flip. This parable represents, a, a, I think, a church who imagines an alternative economy that says that your joy isn't the result of your hard work, your joy isn't the result of you following the rules, your joy isn't the result of your marital status, your age, your gender, your ability. You are hired. You're hired. You're in, I pick you. Not because of your credentials, you're hired because Jesus says you're hired. Full stop. And so we labor, I'm landing this plane, trust me, this is, I'm coming in. We labor as a church, and and every gathering we do on a Sunday is like a beautiful wheel of the labor that we do all year. We sing sacred songs. That's part of the labor of Awaken, which means as a community, we do collective grief and collective joy. We do that. We do that for 20 minutes every Sunday, and we do that as a community all year. When someone loses a baby, we grieve collectively together, and we could do that at the same time. Someone who's been trying to get pregnant for five years announces they're pregnant. We could collectively grieve and collectively rejoice because we do that labor every Sunday. We do it together. We, part of our labor on Sunday, is we tell the sacred stories, which is a way of remembering that the God who was generous yesterday is the God who will be generous tomorrow. So we hear from the grandmothers and the grandfathers. We hear from the great cloud of witness. And then we go outside in that playground and we tell those little ones about it. We're telling the sacred stories. We're remembering where we came from and where we're going. We have a healing ceremony at the end of every service around this table, which is an embodied act of eating food together, saying that we are one body, the body of Christ. It's a healing ceremony. We feed each other and we are fed at Jesus' table, and that's the work we do all week. We feed each other. We receive food from one another, and together we become the body of Christ. We do the sacred labor of welcoming. Paul Harvey did it today. stood up and just like, you're all welcome here. But that's not a labor that you just do for 60 seconds on the beginning of every church service. It's a labor that we do day in, day out, like, Daryl, you're welcome, I see you. You know, Jessica, you're welcome, I see you. It's a work we do, it's a labor we sign up for. And then lastly, we do the work of benediction, which is the work of sending, saying, go, and you're not alone, we do this. And it's a a beautiful work that we do together. Every ministry fits into this liturgy that we perform together on Sundays. And this liturgy holds us, we don't hold it. You've maybe labored all your life, maybe you just got back from 10 years away, maybe you quit three years ago, maybe you haven't been invited until this Sunday. And we're really glad you're here. You're hired. Remember those Oprah Winfrey episodes where she'd like, instead of give away a prize to one person, she'd just be like, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Everybody gets a car. That's this parable, right? Everybody gets a car. we I already have three cars. Take another. I've never had a car in my life. Great. It's a nice car. That's it. It's like you're hired. Outrageously generous. And so here's the trick. God is both the landlord and the laborer in this story. Isn't that profound? God is both our sacred host of this gathering and also our guest in our midst. And we might have noticed that he just got here. And some of you are like, where have you been these last 10 years? Jesus is both our host and our guest. You are both a landlord in the story of your life. Your generosity is implicated in this. And you are also a laborer, experiences generosity and shares it with others. Awaken Church in the neighborhood of Ness is both a landlord deciding who gets some and who gets more and who gets little. And Awaken Church is also a newcomer in this neighborhood. And we've just signed up for the work. And we've all been blessed by this neighborhood. The Saskatoons are like so close. Like we've done nothing to deserve those. And they are bursting on the vine. Rick Stringway is a friend of mine at Ambrose. And also, James, you did it without even realizing it at the beginning of our service. I got to hang out with him um, last semester. He, he's a professor, like a lifelong alliance pastor, lovely human. We were talking, and he was like, Michaela, I just feel like, like old white men like me need to just step aside and let you and your generation take over. And we had this beautiful moment where I was like, no, do not dare even think of getting off the field and leaving the work to us. Stay. You're not irrelevant. You're not being canceled. It's not like, well, you messed it up, now let us try it. That's not it. Thank you that you've been here doing the work all day. There were others who got overlooked in the marketplace and we're here now. Can we join you in your joy? Your joy generates more joy. Stay. Stay. Celebrate the joy that we all get together. So church your joy generates more joy your healing generates more healing your walk with christ is my walk with christ show me what you see your healed marriage is my healed marriage your liberation from the house of shame is liberation for all of us and so we don't need to compete it's not a competition it's not scarcity it's that there's enough Um, and so i wanted to just read to you In conclusion, um, both Paul and Jesus say this. It's so profound. Your joy is everyone's joy. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, share with each other. And then Jesus himself, in John 15, he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so we are all laborers in the vineyard and we're all being uh, invited into joy and abundance. And when Jesus empties himself, it's not so that he becomes less, it's so that he becomes more as we are brought into Jesus. So let our joy be complete. I quoted Paul in Philippians 2, I quoted Jesus in John 15, and it's not the canon, and Brian Merritt's not here, so this joke will not land, but I'm going for it anyway. The great Lizzo once said in her best song, Juice, if I'm shining, everybody gonna shine. And that is this parable. You got rewarded and paid, and that's wonderful. Let's celebrate. And look over there, someone else got paid and rewarded. Let's have a party. I wonder if this guy has any wine in the vineyard. I bet he does. And that's going to bring us to this table here. I'm going to close in a prayer, and then Sarah's going to come up and invite all of us to this beautiful table. And whether it's your first time or not, whether you believe in any of this or not, uh, whether this is your whole life and you love it so much, you never want it to end, um, all of you are welcome to this table at Awaken. Um, So Sarah's going to come lead us in that, uh, and I'm just going to close with this uh, prayer for you, which is inspired in part by the liturgy book, Every Moment Holy. And I hope this um, resonates with you as a prayer for Awaken. Okay. Uh, Loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, between what was and what will be, in the very is of now, Let our hearts be surprised by, shaped by, warmed by, remade by the same joy that forever dwells within and radiates from your heart, O God. O God, whether we live another day or many decades more, there is only one way all of this will end, and that is with all of us in your arms, O Father, joyful and utterly whole pressing ever further for all eternity into your beauty, your wisdom, your love, and your great delight. So shape us, I pray, by the generosity uh, by which you have shaped this world. As we come to the table, may we see your generosity in new ways. And may we turn from this place and extend the generosity that we ourselves have received. Shape us by your gospel, in the name of Jesus, our wounded Messiah, our risen Lord.